Hospitality <laughs> Monsters. I'm going to use the word with the orange well rugby done. team. Someone pressed Woo! my alarm. It must be. Let's take it off Liverpool. Let's take it off the Reds. And let's attach it to the Ireland rugby team. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Ball Daily. Welcome along to Sunday's Off the Ball. We're sitting in for Joe this afternoon. We've got a busy show ahead. We've got full and exclusive live commentary coming from 2pm in the Premier League where the leaders Arsenal take on Crystal Palace who departed their manager Patrick Vieira as they haven't won in the calendar year of 2023. Gavin Casey and Sinead O'Carroll are going to be reviewing the papers a little bit later on and Ryan O'Dwyer will join us to chat about uh, the end of the regular section of the National Hurling League including that vital game between Kilkenny and Waterford this afternoon. Delighted to say in Delaney is here with me. How are you getting on, Aidan? I'm not too bad, thanks, Will. We are still basking in the Irish victory against England yesterday and the Grand Slam being achieved. First ever one in Dublin. They've been done in Belfast in 1948, in Cardiff in 2009, mm-hmm. Twickenham in 2018, and now you can add Dublin to the list in 2023. N- nervy enough performance. Probably not the best of performances overall, but they no. found a way to win. No, and it, the thing was, it was very reminiscent of kind of the end of Joe Schmidt era where players were trying things, they weren't really coming off, there was an awful lot of drop passes and you you could feel that kind of tension coming through. I was just watching it in here and you could feel that tension coming through the TV. We had Andy Dunn on and even he was starting to get a bit nervous before the game and as the game went on. But then there was just that magical Johnny Sexton kick and that just shows why he is one of the greatest players of all time, that he can just pull this out of nowhere and, you know, that just got Ireland that bit more confidence, that bit more, you know, actually we are going for a Grand Slam here, we do deserve to be in this position and that kind of kicked on everybody else and, you know, Dan Sheen was absolutely amazing and Bundyaki was amazing. You could pick out anybody really, we'll hear from Mack Hansen and Bundyaki later on as well, they were chatting to Ashling after the game and just a magical, magical day. Yeah, I mean, look, the cold light of it is that Ireland have won a Grand Slam getting bonus points in four of the five mm. games. That's what's going to be remembered. What we'll have to remember too, the last two Six Nations Championships, Ireland have conceded a combined 10 tries, yeah. which maybe speaks a lot to Andy Farrell's solid coaching because he's been a masterful defence coach before and also what Simon Easterby has done since he's come in as defence coach as well. To average only five tries conceded over two Six Nations Championships is incredible. Yeah, and when you think of, you know, Jacob Stockdale was a player that we were all raving about a couple of years ago and he was kind of ruthlessly cut from the team because his defence wasn't good enough and we thought the same might be said for James Lowe. James Lowe was, you know, this bright, you know, kind of fire spark, you know, absolutely uh, lighting up every time he got onto the field and yet his defensive qualities were questioned as well. But instead of just cutting him loose, Andy Farrell, you know, I assume kind of sat him down and said, listen, if you want to be part of this team going forward, if you want to have success in this team, you need to up your game a little bit in this one area and he's done that Mac Hansen is, is brilliant defensively as well Robbie Henshaw we know you know when he's able to get onto the field he is a defensive leader and you know that is something that leads you to you know defence wins championships and we saw it there again yesterday Cameron Hill is joining us as well Cameron oh, well. what is this jersey you're wearing it is Red Star Paris right wow I am cool <laughs> it would seem so uh, you weren't attracted by PSG then you had to go for their hipster cousin no 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 these are like the uh, bohemians of, uh, of Paris so there's like PSG who are the heavyweights and then I think it's just Paris FC and then Red Star Paris who are quite cool. So hence why I'm wearing it. Right, he's wearing the green, everybody. Yeah, that is it the, is green. That's the, the salient point here. It's three different shades of green and a bit of white on it as well. So St. Patrick's weekend being carried on by Cameron as well. What did you make of the Irish performance, Cameron? I mean, uh, to give my take on it, I thought first half bang average, last 25 minutes pretty good. Uh, more errors than probably all the rest of the games combined. But maybe that nerviness came from the fact the finishing line was in sight for a championship and a Grand Slam. Yeah, I mean, 
the term adversity came up and we've heard um, ad nauseum at this stage how much Andy Farrell likes adversity. Well, you never he, hear adversity if it's not overcome. No, mm. well, no, but he, if he had an adversity bingo card yesterday, it would have been filled fairly quickly because yeah, it was fairly scrappy in the first half. I think one of the things we have really marvelled at is Ireland's ability to offload and the offloads were all over the shop yesterday, it had to be said. Um, but they pulled through. Uh, the few tries the Henshaw try especially really reminded me of what Andy Dunn said about the Conan, or sorry, it was the Ringrose try against France. He was talking about how they just they just said, we're getting over the line. And it felt like Ireland just said, right, we're going to just get this job done now at this stage. There was some, some sort of switch in the second half and they just managed to blow England away. It's, it it kind of came out of nowhere, actually, even though we've seen this time and time again from an Ireland side. I thought Rory Best summed up quite well on the ITV coverage afterwards. He said, what tends to happen when there's a red card, Aidan, is that teams will always try and go out the open side and go wide as quickly as possible because mm-hmm. you're looking at having men over, especially you when the back has been sent off. So yeah. understandably, there's going to be gaps there. He said what he was impressed by with Ireland, and of course being you know a legendary hooker himself and former Ireland captain, he enjoyed the fact that they actually trusted the forwards in those near situations when they got into the red zone. And that the two tries that happened in the corner in the second half mm. actually came from when it looked like Jameson Gibson Park was going to go the other way and he trusted the forwards to actually bash their way through. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of works as in, you know, it worked in the first half when, when coming off the line out and, and giving it to Dan Sheen. And when you have a, a tactic that works, you know, it is worth it to, you know, try it again. And, and that, that's what we saw with his second try as well. I do think we did get caught into a little bit of a kicking battle and we kind of allowed England to kind of dictate the pace, particularly in that kind of 10 minutes up until the hour mark. And then Ireland kind of just took control of the game and we had that, that sexton kick and I thought Jack Conan coming on as well with that you know, we talk we were talking about offloads not going to hand. That was a brave offload to try you know, take out four players with that one as well and, and you know, Sheen gets down for his second try as well. So it's it is something that you need every single forward to, to be on their, their game. And even when the, the scrums were going a little bit against us, you know, we managed to have the, the depth on the bench to come on and really just kind of steady that area of the game. And every time England started to to take a step forward, we managed just pushing back just that little bit and then our quality told in the end we're going to have Kenny Cunningham on commentary at 2 o'clock so I'm going to use a Kenny Cunninghamism here on both of you red card yes or no for Freddie Stewart um, I would say no I think it was probably a yellow to be honest I know. I think yeah. if there was a yellow card given I don't think there would have been too many complaints yeah. No, I think I, by the letter of the law, red was probably correct. And a couple of years ago, that wasn't a red card. Yeah. But because the game has changed now, because we are more focused on, and we had Brent Pope on the show yesterday, and he was talking about, you know, player welfare has to come first. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to argue against that. You know, obviously, we would like to see a, a good competitive game as well. But player welfare has to come first. And, you know, by the letter of the law, red card would have been the right call. But if there was a yellow card given, you know, the referee wouldn't have been handed out of it. See, I think. It was a situation where Hugo Keenan was knocking the ball on. So the two players ended up in an unfortunate situation where mm. a tangle was almost inevitable. Yeah. And I thought Stuart and Farrell actually made a reasonable argument to Jacko Piper where he basically said, look, yes, I hit him with my elbow or forearm into the head. And ultimately, it's the first game where Hugo Keenan hasn't played the full 80 minutes yeah. for Ireland in this championship because of the knock that he took. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're Stuart, you're kind of turning away. He's not making an attempt to put the player in danger as he's turning. He's actually turning because he's anticipating where the ball is going to go. OK, Keenan's uh, tackle height didn't change, which Jacob Piper had mentioned. But at the same time, what did change it was that the ball was popping forward. Yeah. And then unfortunately, Keenan goes into his elbow, forearm kind of area as opposed 
opposed to going into a tackling position. I think I think there was definitely a mitigating on that one for a yellow, but I understand entirely by World Rugby rules, Cameron, that's a red card because of the danger of it. Absolutely. And I saw people online making the case that, look, you know, he clearly didn't intend to do that. Intent is irrelevant mm. in my books. I think, you know, that just, you can't, like it takes courts and prosecutors months to prove the intent of someone who clearly murdered somebody. So intent is just impossible to qualify or quantify. Um, yes, in the letter of the law, it was a red card, but he was unfortunate. I still do have sem- sympathy for Freddie Stewart. Ellis was the bigger idiot, I thought. That's, yeah. that's what, what I was going to ask. Do you think that if he doesn't give the red card in the first half, he gives a red card for that in the second half? Yes, I, I think he would. I think in a way, Willis was lucky that Ross Byrne came down in a pile of bodies as opposed to coming straight down yeah, onto possibly. his neck or onto his head. Like Willis picks him up, it's reckless, it's stupid, it's unnecessary That's as well. The one thing, it's going yeah. in for a player who's not going to even take totally. the ball in that circumstance. It's frustration, it's I just want to have an impact on this game, I haven't done a whole lot today mm. and I want to. I want people to remember me and that's what happened. My eye was drawn, Cameron, in the same way as Quinlan's was on commentary. I thought initially that it was Tuolagi who had gone in with the clear out. Yes. Because he was just in front of it and then they showed the replay and it's so clear that Willis just come in and picked him up. But I think it's the picture that's painted there. Tuolagi is involved in some capacity. We don't know the degree to which. kind of broke the fall more than anything. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's why the yellow was given in the end. But um, yeah, it was incredibly reckless. But I did find it very interesting that this is the second year in a row where England have gone down to 14 men for most of the game against Ireland. And it's proved to be such a tricky fixture. Yeah. That's what I found very, very interesting. It's They just have this resolve. Before we get some of the reaction in a moment, England's performance, Aidan, considering they shipped 53 points against France the week before, couldn't really get much lower than that defeat at Twickenham, a record defeat in the Championship. Everyone's writing them off, thinking this is going to be 20, 30 points that Ireland are going to put up on them. Okay, maybe sometimes they were a bit overzealous in how they uh, celebrated some of the penalties that they got. At Toji particularly, I think, and Van Portfleet uh, tended to go a little bit over the top in their celebrations. But it was clear that England actually brought an intensity to the Aviva which I would say is exactly what Steve Bortwick would have been hoping for. He would have been hoping for that, all right. And I think they kept themselves in the game long enough for to to really kind of give Ireland a few nerves. But I think attacking-wise, they were never really, you know, there was never really a, a chance for them to get maybe the back three involved. They were never really kind of storming down the wings or anything like that. You know, they managed to keep themselves in the game, but you need to have that uh, that next step as well, that bit of quality to, to kind of really trouble Ireland. If they had managed to get a try maybe in the first half and really kind of put the pressure on then it would have been a, a far more scary prospect but by the time you got to 60 minutes you could see the you know the English starters starting to fleece a little bit they were starting to you know kind of drop their own passes their their scrum was starting to not have the dominance that it did have in the start of the second half and I do think that they were just missing a couple of finishers there to really kind of put the pressure on but yeah overall I mean it was it was far better than the France performance it's something to to work on it's you know it shows that actually when we are interested when we are you know kind of all locked in together, we can have a an intensity to our game that we can bring to you know in the World Cup later on in the year. But they do need to find maybe that one or two more you know kind of players with that bit of magic. And maybe Freddie Stewart would have been that player in the second half. You have, you have to say, but um, I was very disappointed with a Harry Arund- or Henry Arundel. I was really looking forward to seeing what he's like because he has this kind of highlights reel at such a young age and has that bit of quality. But I think the English were more focused on let's keep Ireland's score down than trying to get our own score up. 
Cameron, take us through some of the reactions, though. Yeah, Ireland head coach Andy Farrell said it was difficult to describe his emotions after the Six Nations Grand Slam title win. The men in green were 29-16 winners over England last night, sealing their fourth ever Grand Slam, the first to be won in Dublin. Captain Johnny Sexton marked his final Six Nations appearance by becoming the top point scorer in championship history. And as Ireland claimed their first title under his stewardship, Farrell said he was still struggling to find the right response. He's, uh, I don't know whether to laugh, cry or a bit sad. Or, I, don't, I don't know. It's, um, it's a weird feeling at this moment in time. I'm just, yeah, I'm just elated for the boys, you know, just to get it over the line because it meant so much to them, especially being here at home, being the, the only, the fourth one in Irish history, you know, and the first one at home. It's, it's a special occasion, especially with the weekend that it's been outside of our hotel, etc. you know what I mean? So we felt a duty that we, we, we couldn't let people down and I would say there's a, a sense of relief to get the job done, you know, um, but immensely proud. I mean, Grand Slams are not just one on nights like this, the one over, not just the eight week period, but over the time that we've been together, you know, so we've been building to this and I'm just glad that we got the job done. Johnny, you just sum up the atmosphere out there, even when you came in from finishing your warm-up, just that roar, just as you were going back in and you just got to set the, the tempo? Yeah, it was an uh, unbelievable uh, atmosphere. It's very special. Um, I don't, I'd say we had probably 98% of the stadium, I reckon. Uh, it was, yeah, incredible. You know, uh, you know, fair play to England, the way they turned up, they were, uh, you know, really good, you know, to bounce back from last week in, in, in that fashion speaks a lot about their captain, their coach, um, so it's, uh, they made it tough and we made it tough for ourselves, um, so we'll, we'll take lots of learnings out of it I'm sure, but for the moment we might just enjoy it for 48 hours and not worry about it too much. In today's other games, France finished their Six Nations with a 41 points to 28 win over Wales and Paris and Scotland earned a 26 points to 14 victory over Italy in Murrayfield. Ben Healy came off the bench to make his international debut for the Scots. Meanwhile, there's possibly some more Six Nations history on the cards later today. Ireland under-20s can round off back-to-back Grand Slams when they take on England at Musgrave Park this evening. Kickoff is at 5 o'clock. Erling Haaland, Cameron, eight goals in a week. Did you see Pep Guardiola's interview with the FA? I did not. It was very funny. So obviously there was all week uh, people have been talking about the fact that Erling Haaland got the hook with 28 minutes still left in the clock when he could have potentially beaten uh, Leo Messi's record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pep was asked about Haaland and why he came off during the three after he scored the three in the FA Cup last night. And he said, I didn't want him to break Leo Messi's FA Cup record. <laughs> <laughs> Which just goes to show Pep is consuming all the media. He is, yeah, absolutely. No, he, yeah, rent free in his head, I'm sure. Um, I'd love to have seen like if Pep was like critical of Holland's performance. You know how he does that, where if someone plays really badly, it's like, yeah, couldn't fault him. And then when they play really well, he nitpicks and tells them what they did wrong. I wish he'd done that with Holland. I'm sure he so went to funny. one of the defenders on the opposition team and was like, really well done today, really well really, done. Really, yeah, <laughs> proper order that, proper order. Well done, Vardio. Haaland, um, um, though, he's in. So that's another hat-trick. So two in five days, eight goals in five-day periods. Uh, Man City hammering Burnley. Uh, 6-0 back into the FA Cup semi-finals. And a bit of Irish interest today, Cameron. Yes, there are three semi-finals spots up for grab today in the FA Cup. John Egan and Sammy Smoddox are currently in action as Sheffield United take on Blackburn. One all is the score at Bramall Lane. Kilkenny any native Gavin Houlihan will hope for a repeat of the heroic cup performance last time out. His Grimsby, Grimsby side face Everton's 
Evan Ferguson's Brighton from a quarter past two and the late game is at Old Trafford as Manchester United take on Fulham from half four. Yeah, so they're the FA Cup quarterfinals that are on today. I mean, again, it's great to have uh, Irish interest here. Um, the focus for us, of course, is going to be on the Premier League. We'll talk about that in a moment from uh, two o'clock uh, where Arsenal go up against Crystal Palace. But also we're into the last eight in the Women's FA Cup as well. Indeed, it's also quarterfinals day in the Women's FA Cup. Manchester United currently taking on Lewis in the early game. United have the first goal there. It's 1-0. At two o'clock, defending champions Chelsea are at Reading and Birmingham face Brighton. And it's a six o'clock kickoff for Aston Villa again. Manchester City Alright So all that to look forward to uh, just a little bit later on um, Aidan when it comes to Arsenal against Palace this is a great opportunity for Arsenal to extend the lead further before the international break I'm sure they'd prefer to be going for another trophy in the FA Cup I'm sure they'd be a little bit disappointed about getting knocked out in the Europa League but as time starts to run out and I know they still have to go to the Etihad uh, before the end of the season Arsenal will just feel if they keep winning games road could run out for City in this title race I'm not entirely sure that they would be too disappointed to go out of the FA Cup. I think they've won mm. FA Cups in the past decade and how many people actually remember them? You know, there was the Aaron, Rams, the Aaron Ramsey game a couple of years ago. But mm. I mean, I think when you're sites are set on the big one you All just want that the one absolutely and I think you saw from Liverpool last year there were a couple of Liverpool fans that I was talking to in the summer going maybe if we hadn't gone so hard in the League Cup earlier on in the year maybe we might have had a bit more you know t- gas in the tank later on and and you know obviously getting so close to that quadruple but I think Arsenal are just looking to you know I think they really are just taking it one game at a time. I think they just want to get those points on the board and really put the pressure on City because we know that City haven't been their absolute utmost and, you know, we are talking about Erling Haaland scoring his eight goals this week, but they haven't been particularly defensively as solid as we're used to seeing them. So I do think that pressure is starting to creep in there at the Etihad and I think Mikel Arteta knows that as we, as long as we keep doing our job, that just get those points on the board. And it's, you know, it's a good opportunity today as well. Crystal Palace coming in, you know, Paddy McCarthy obviously on the bench for them today. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see if they're able to take advantage. And, you know, this could be an opportunity for Crystal Palace to just show that maybe we're better than the Patrick Vieira side we've seen for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they'll be open with the caretaker bounce, Cameron. But you look at Palace's record over these last 11 Premier League games in this year then. They've scored four goals and they've had only 26 shots at goal in those 11 games. Yeah, I mean, it's not great news from a Leeds United perspective that they sacked Vieira because I think we've Arsenal and then Palace next. And it would have been great to <laughs> have taken on a languishing Crystal Palace. Oh, no, no, maybe. your beloved Leeds had a fantastic win yesterday. They did, they did. But, you know, two wins is better than one win, Will. And, <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed that Vieira is gone because it looked like, uh, you know, they weren't really factored into the relegation race, but they, they're there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. They're 12th and there's not much between 12th and bottom. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really hold much hope for Crystal Palace today. Yeah, still three points between the drop zone and 12th place. So basically from Chelsea up, everyone else is looking over their shoulder currently. So it's going to be a relegation fight for the ages over the next 10, 11 games. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur. This is going to be magnificent stuff from Antonio Conte. What he oh, said absolutely. Up. Just a quick update on the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. Sammy Smoddocks has scored for Blackburn, so they're 2-1 up at Sheffield United. But in yesterday's action, Tottenham missed out on the chance to go third in the Premier League table. That's after they drew 3-all with Southampton at St. Mary's. And the lads, manager Antonio Conte pulled no punches in a fiery post-match press conference. Conte gave his thoughts on why Spurs have been producing such inconsistent performances. Why? Bah, I don't know, because they are used here. They are used here. Don't play for, uh, for, uh, for something important. Yeah. And, uh, they don't play, uh, they don't want to play under pressure. 
They don't want to play under stress. <laughs> ah, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? Only for the, the fault is only for the club or for the every manager that stay uh, here. And uh, I have seen eh, the manager that Tottenham had on the bench. You risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and to protect the other situation in every moment. And now, and now, uh, until now, I try to hide the situation, but now no, because I repeat, I don't want to see what I have seen today, because this is unacceptable. Also for the respect for the fans. They follow us, pay the tickets, and to see, to see the team another time, to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. And uh, we have to think a lot. We have to think a lot about, about this. Elsewhere in the world of football, there's El Clasico to look forward to this evening, Will. Barcelona can go 12 points clear of Real Madrid and La Liga with victory at Camp Nou. Yeah, look, I'm not going to forget about uh, the Clasico or even some of the other games that are on today. You've got Juventus against Inter. Some good games. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the Rome Derby as well later on in Serie A. It's one of those really, really good days of football. But Aidan, I can't sidestep Conte's comments because (laughs) we'll talk to Kenny about this in a few minutes, right? None of what he said is wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's been the manager there for 18 months. He has overseen the culture of this current group of players. He's been backed with quite a few players coming in over that period of time as well. He cannot just wash his hands of it and say, hey, when you fire me, because clearly he's asking to be fired with those comments, international break about to come mm-hmm. up. Conte has to take some of the blame himself. He can't just walk away pretending he's not part of this. Not to make this political, but it's a bit like a housing minister coming out and going, we really need to tackle this housing crisis, guys. You know? <laughs> and it is he's kind of, you know, you are the person that can fix this. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And I, I do think I actually have a bit of sympathy for Conte a little bit because he has had quite a tough couple of months. He has had the death of, of three close friends, I suppose, from, you know, particularly the Italian, you know, Viali and Malahovic are some of the ones. But I do think that that might be starting to crack on him a little bit and he does seem like a person who's probably not as, as comfortable in London as he once was and you know he is this kind of fiery you know this firecracker who you know doesn't stay in one place for too long but I mean he is the manager he has to do something about this you know he can do something about you know conceding three goals away to Southampton the worst team in the league and team He I, picked the second he team to work and down the yeah. FA Cup a couple of weeks ago as True. well and yeah. he complains they're not playing for trophies Yeah, He was overseeing them when they were knocked out of Europe I know he was missing in between the two legs but they went out so limply against Milan over mm-hmm. those two legs as well and you're just thinking like Harry Kane summed it up he said it's not good enough for Spurs to be just fighting for the top four between now and the end of the season and I think Cameron they're actually in a fight now I think so now I do have some sympathy with Antonio Conte in that there is a sort of level of not even expectation entitlement at Spurs like there's so much talk about oh, Harry Kane needs to go to a club where he can win trophies doesn't he? Isn't that people outside of Spurs though who legitimately look at one of the best striking talents of his generation and the fact that he could finish up with no medals? Yeah but Harry Kane could have won a, a Champions League in 2019 if he you know didn't if he wasn't say, injured yeah, going into well, the final. If he mm. wasn't like said no I'm ready Gaffer even though he knew he probably he probably knew he wasn't ready and just went in and they ended up limply losing that final so you know I don't think he, there, there's two sides to this story. I think Conte is rightly pointed out what's wrong at Spurs. Now, you know, as you say, he's picked a team and he's earning a, quite a lot of money picking that team. But 
yeah, it's a basket case of a club and there's more than one culprit there. Okay, let's talk about more detail with Kenny in a few minutes. Latest in the Gaelic Games, by the way, in Division 2. Uh, Cork lead against Louth by four points to two. Cork should be safe in the second flight already due to their scoring difference. But Clare are fighting for their lives against a Derry team who are well poised to get to the final coming into this round. Top of the table, Derry lead against Clare after 20 minutes of play by three points to no score. They're the early games uh, that got underway in Division 2 of the Football League at 1pm. In Division 1, we've got Donegal up against Mayo at 3.45 and Monaghan against Trone gets underway at 2pm. There's also a very important game at the top of the table in Division 4, which gets underway at 2. That's Leitrim against Leash. In the Hurling, Cameron, the important game is at Nolan Park, but uh, the All-Ireland Champions Limerick also in action today. Yes, they're taking on Wexford at the Gaelic grounds. Uh, at Nolan Park, Kilkenny go to head, head-to-head with Waterford and Clare face Cork at Cusick Park in Ennis. All right, so busy afternoon. Aidan, how do you see it going, Kilkenny against Waterford? My take is Kilkenny are going to get at least the draw that they need here and they're mm-hmm. going to qualify to create two very interesting semi-finals, Kilkenny against Cork and Tip against Limerick. But can Davy Fitzgerald's side pull out a performance? Davy loves a game against Kilkenny as a Wexford man. I, I know that more than most, but uh, I do think that there's probably, uh, you know, we are still early into the Derek Ling reign and we're still trying to work out, you know, what has he brought different to um, to this, uh, to the side that, you know, was just dominated over by Brian Cody for so long. But I do think there is still that residual kind of, you know, toughness there in them to, to kind of get over this side. And I, I was, I watched that Waterford Tipperary game a couple of weeks ago and you know you were you were impressed by what Waterford could do and then you know Tip just managed to get those couple of goals and the, the Waterford heads started to drop a little bit and they can see something similar happening here Waterford will keep themselves in the game for you know maybe 50 minutes and then you know we can just see the Kilkenny kind of again that residual we're better than you kind of attitude coming through and just kind of sneaking it out in the end Mm, sending it off a bit of an issue for uh, Waterford as well they mm. can't afford uh, not to finish this game at 15 men I think uh, Max Verstappen uh, look, it feels like the world title is already over Cameron at this stage when you've Toto Wolf saying you know what Lewis Hamilton might only sign a one year deal because we might not have the car in two years time for him even to be able to compete mm, yeah but Verstappen had a bit of a disaster yesterday Will uh, he will start this afternoon's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix from 15th place after suffering a power issue in qualifying session 2 yesterday his Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez is on pole with Charles Leclerc of Ferrari joining him at the front of the grid yeah no great surprise the Red Bull are in pole position even with Verstappen's issues and I wouldn't write him off from winning the uh, Grand Prix in Saudi either lads it's been a pleasure on the news round we're going to take a very short break we are looking forward to our live feature commentary game in the Premier League it's Arsenal against Crystal Palace with Kenny Cunningham when we come back in a moment <laughs> 